I'm Jack Semlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2019 Strip-Till Farmer Podcast Series. In today's program, we get some tips on developing the practice of strip-till through the five principles of soil health. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you'll be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to TopCon Agriculture for its support of this podcast series. Agronomy Matters and TopCon Agriculture Application Solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX, boom height control, monitoring and mapping, to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your four-hour nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. Well, the strip-till tends to be practiced in pockets, with neighboring farmers evolving their systems, sometimes sharing or comparing berm building strategies, planter setups, and fertilization practices. But broadening awareness and adoption has been a goal of Cambridge, Illinois farmer Monty Bodens, who since 2004 has advocated for increased use of strip-till in California as an effective method for increasing corn silage yields, conserving moisture, and improving soil health. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, Monty shares the structure of the starting out in strip-till program he launched, along with proven tips and tools for achieving early returns in the system. So I want to start first with the soil, right? Everything we do as farmers and agribusiness, every, to feed the world, to feed our communities is starting in the soil. So the five soil health principles, and uh, Frank, he changed number five on us there this morning. He said compaction, I'm gonna say livestock. But uh, first off is keep it covered, right? Nobody wants to see your dirt. Nobody wants to farm naked. So just remember those kind of things. We wanna always keep the soil covered with a layer of armor that's going to protect it from wind, water erosion, improve infiltration rate, protect it from weeds and those kind of things. Second thing, minimize soil disturbance. Isn't that what strip-till is all about? I mean, the amount of soil disturbance that we're doing compared to conventional broadcast tilling is what? One third the width, and sometimes much less, especially in the case of California, much less the depth. So much less soil disturbance is going on. The third thing we want to do when we're looking at our farming system is plant diversity. So if you're corn, 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 how diverse is that? Well, we're changing hybrids, right? It's not very diverse. So we want to look at not just corn soybean either. So the more that we can integrate more crops uh, in the rotation, uh, a friend of mine says, I try to make it so confusing that not only do the weeds and bugs not know what's going on, I don't know what's going on. So that's one of those things. And I think cover crops are an opportunity there. We'll talk about that too, to improve that plant diversity within the soil. Then we want something always living. For California, that's great. 12 months a year, we can grow something if we have the water. You know, in Illinois, where I'm at, we've got six months out of the year. And as you move north, you may have five or four months out of the year. But the more you can have a root pumping solar energy into the ground, the better. Because plants actually, we talk about, they leak a lot of sugars to feed the microbes, right? That's what we always thought. The most recent research shows us from uh, Dr. James White, the rhizophagy cycle, plants actually incubate microbes. 
propagate microbes and eject those microbes into the soil. So it's not that we're feeding the microbes in the soil, plants are growing microbes. Did you catch that? That's pretty cool. Did they teach you that in the books? Did they teach you that root, what are root hairs for, guys? Collecting nutrients? Need a refund, Mark? That's wrong. The root hairs are actually grown out to eject the microbes that plants have made within the root back out into the soil under high pressure. That's just been discovered in the last 18 months. Your tax dollars paid for that. So I thought you should know. <laughs> Final thing is livestock integration. And I know that sometimes livestock can be a dirty word, but what I've, only, what I've kind of found on my own farm and talking with other people, consensus is no-till, strip-till, and, and corn rotations, we can gain maybe a tenth percent per year in organic matter. Incorporate cover crops, we can, we can get a tenth, maybe two-tenths percent organic matter. We put those four-legged critters out there, we can double those amounts, go four-tenths, five-tenths a year. So there's a lot of fun stuff you can do with that. But we're here at a strip tail conference. We don't want to talk about livestock. So principles versus practices. This is audience participation here. So here's our principles over on the side. I'm going to just give a starter. Shout it out, soil armor, stripper wheat in western Kansas. Great idea for, for creating soil armor. How do you guys create soil armor on your farm? We've got to get out of here. I don't have much time. Shout it out. How do you create, Tom, how do you create soil armor? Covers. How else? No-till. Residue. Grow a big crop, right? Lots of residue. Grow a BT crop. It'll stay there forever. What else? What are other ways to create soil armor that you do? Anyone? Anyone? Mueller? What? Livestock grazing. Livestock grazing? Why? Because it regrows faster. That's right. No-till, strip-till. That's a great way to minimize soil disturbance. What are other ways to minimize soil disturbance? That kind of covers it, right? not doing a lot of tillage. Plant diversity, cover crop mixes. What else? Doing different rotations, planting maybe small grains that you haven't done before. Continual living plant root, interseeding cover crops. Think about this, if we're waiting to seed our cover crops until we've harvested our corn crop, that means we're waiting for it to get from 39% at black layer to whatever your harvest moisture is, which is typically how many days? We're waiting maybe 30 days to harvest in a lot of the grain belt. There's 30 days we wasted very good heat units and very good sunlight. So interseeding or doing things to, to get that crop growing quicker is, is much better. And then livestock integration, grazing ruminants. That's how these, that's an example of the practices that align with the principles. Do you see the difference? Strip till is the practice. The principle is minimizing soil disturbance. Never ever confuse principles and practices. Why is that? Principles apply where? Everywhere, right? Is that what you said? Where do practices apply? Local, on your field or even on your farm or even a portion of a field. So principles and practices. So we always want to think about the principles and then this group of farmers in here, you're here to learn. You're, you're, you're very intelligent, you're very innovative, you will figure out the practices. So my job is go through the principles with you today so that we can come up with that. So when we started in California, these were some of the standard practices that we had. When you look at each one of these categories, we were clean bare fields. Couldn't see a piece of residue anywhere because that's what it's supposed to be. Doing eight to 11 passes of tillage between crops, two crops per year, cool. It was great when I was a Case IH dealership, we put 1,200 hours a year on a tractor. 
Plant diversity. Typical dairy situation, plants corn, wheat, corn, wheat, corn, wheat. Both are grass crops, not very diverse, are they? Continual plant living root. In California, we have one month of pause in the spring to allow for our tillage, and two months of pause, because it's really not long enough to grow anything, and we can do even more tillage then, so that's cool. And then cows, we stick those in feedlots because that's where they're supposed to be. So what can strip till address as a practice to these principles, right? It can address the first two. The soil armor, because it's going to leave residues on the surface that would have normally been incorporated, and it's going to obviously minimize the soil disturbance. So we've gotten it in California from the 8 to 11 passes of heavy tillage. And by the way, how deep does a disc run if you're from the Midwest? A couple inches. What's a light disking in California? Five to six. What's a heavy disking? 12 inches. What's a chisel in California? What's a, what's a ripping in California? 20 deeper than 24, 36 to 60. So, yeah, when you talk about a light disking, it's like, yeah, we dissed it, man, six, eight inches. So anyway, just to give you a little context. So now today we strip till, we strip refresh, and we plant. And there is application for everybody in this room of what we're talking about. So I'm sharing the practices to meet the principles, but you need to think about the principles, how they relate to your practices. So equipment is a barrier, right? You know, I, I saw that big, beautiful John Deere, uh, it's wrong brand name, quad track. Sorry, case I H guy, I don't know the name. But uh, it's a quad track that probably doesn't break down. And uh, they had that beautiful environmental tillage system. Uh, I'm not in the case H business anymore, I can say that. That beautiful ETS machine behind it, it's like, wow, that is awesome, cool. I'm just counting that up. Hey, wow, there's a million dollars rolling. So equipment is a barrier, right? So what works best in your conditions? And guess what works best? The piece of equipment you bought because you don't want to spend another million dollars, right? So it has to work. How do, we, how do we avoid those things ahead of time, right? How do you set it up? We're not, there's not 10,000 people at this conference, right? There's probably not 50,000 strip tillers in America. So we're kind of all on our own little islands of isolation to be able to compare notes with our neighbors or other people to know how to set it up properly for our practical local conditions. What additional attachments do I need? Has anybody ever went to the field with a planner, OEM, never touched a thing on it? Has anyone ever went with an OEM strip tiller to the field? Maybe. But still, right? We like to tinker a lot. Well, what's the right tinkering? Right? How do you know what that right tinkering is? Leave it alone, yeah? Well, I like to tinker and cause more problems. So how do you, and how do you meet your plant nutrition needs? Okay, so when you change your tillage regime, you change your, your nutrient cycling regime. Change one thing, you change everything. That's just how it works. We'll get back to our discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for making this podcast series possible. I also wanted to remind you to check out our series featured monthly in our podcast, Tech Tips with Dr. Ray Acevedo. Where the former assistant professor of precision agriculture at Kansas State University and consultant for Topcon Agriculture shares insights and advice on some of the latest precision tools and how to best implement them on your operation. You can listen to past technology tips and also find accompanying articles at striptillfarmer.com. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Monty Bottens on the initial payback farmers have seen when switching to strip-till. This is how our program works, and we have all the right high-tech equipment. 
So a lot of times people don't know what to get for the local condition or maybe like me, I, I say I'm 1 16th Dutch. It's, a, it's enough to help and not too much to hurt, but I, I go a little, I got Swede in me in Dutch and I get a little cheap, okay? So I don't always get what I should uh, to do it right. Then we, uh, we combine on top of that our biologically based plant nutrition system to make sure that we're doing, addressing that nutrient cycle change because as uh, we change the tillage, we change the nutrient cycling. And we're also changing the time of year that we're planting, so we have to do that. Then we found that this is critical. We provide season-long consulting because you change one thing, you change what? Everything. So it changes our irrigation practices, it changes our weed management practices, it changes our insect management practices, everything. So when you are looking at doing this, if it's your first time, you need to partner up with somebody who's going to walk you through this entire time and has experience with all these things in order to be successful. Because what I looked at, if I wanted to help change California agriculture from the uh, incredibly tense, intensive tillage to this type of a mechanism, we had one chance to get it right. Because if there was a failure, it'd be another generation before it could get changed. Okay, that same thing happened here. If you have a failure in strip till in the Midwest or wherever you're from, you get one, one chance to get it right, and then it's a generation later before you can do it again. Because dad said we can't do that, right? So anyway, that's really important. And we set a minimum acre amount on our program and a maximum acre amount. Why would we do that? We want a minimum of 80 acres in two fields. Why would we do that? And then you have two different fields to see two different conditions. And guess which ones we get? the worst one and maybe the second worst one or the worst and the best, right? So you see two different conditions and why would you want a 40 acre minimum instead of a five acre minimum? Yeah, it's enough to see something, right? Now the maximum, why would we put a maximum acres on it? Why wouldn't it, hey, let's get all thousand acres and help a person, why would we do that? We're in the custom business, that's right. We don't wanna be in the custom business, we wanna be in the adoption business. So we're trying to introduce farmers to a better, we don't sell Orthman or all this stuff. So we're trying to get them into a better way to improve their soil health. So we say a maximum of 320 or 50% of your acres because we want them to compare to their current system and, and still have that as a frame of reference. And the other thing I highly suggest is two years. And after two years, it's time to make the investment or go back to the way that you've been doing it because we're trying to affect change. We're not trying to be custom farmers. So here's some of our equipment we have there. Um, Orthman One Tripper. We equip everything with liquid application possibilities because in our area, that's a, you can do some just amazing things. Either sometimes you can put a herbicide here. Very, very rare. I don't know if we've ever done that. That's what it was originally intended for. But now we've got new uh, salinity management and biological management uh, products we can put on as we go and uh, everything's just ready to go. So the pump, tank, tractor, hook on and, and go. And then, because everything in California has got to be deeper, you know, like the light disking, then there's another company out there, uh, Wilcox Manufacturing. They're in California and Arizona, right? Robert, you've got some Wilcox down your way. Look at, the, you, look at that strip tiller, man. That is awesome. There's lots of iron there. When they lift that up, that sucker wheels up. It is awesome because according to Alan Wilcox, you're not strip tilling unless you're going at least 24 inches deep. So you got, and look at this, all hydraulic downforce, individual on all these walking tandems. Isn't that cool? Oh, but 
It's the kind of that Tim Allen moment. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, exactly. Results of our program. When Dairyman is working with us to um, implement strip-till, what's happening? He's saving 80 to $120 an acre in tillage costs. Those 8 to 11 passes aren't free, are they? Lots of diesel. And typically, we see a 1 to 3 ton advantage in uh, forage yield. Also, 1 to 5% starch increase because the plant isn't growing under as stressful conditions. And you're putting the nutrients on at the right time. We can increase starch or basically the energy content of that forage. Here's the big thing. We can plant 1 to 4 weeks quicker. Okay, when you've got double crop opportunities in that environment, you can do that, which gives us a third crop opportunity. So, why isn't everybody doing it? with those kind of results. We've had those results. We started this program in 2000. 2006 was the first year I did um, strip till there, and we started the faster forage program, Silas, five, six years ago, probably with the rental equipment, 13. So why isn't everybody doing it? Management skills. So how many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Five? Let's keep guessing. How many Baptists does it take to change? I'm a Baptist, by the way, just so you know. How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Change? Why change, right? So <laughs> anyway, the, really the reason is is the fear of failure and the pain of change, right? Fear and pain. That's what it really is. Is it, is it anything with economics? It's fear and change. There's two parts of our brain. Emotions and logic are not in the same parts of the brain. So decisions are never rational. First time I ever heard somebody tell me that, I'm like, they're crazy. And after 30 years later, or 28 years later, I realized, huh, they were exactly right. They are never rational. They are made emotionally, and then you justify it rationally. We can take away one thing today. Remember that. Decisions are never Decisions are made emotionally, justified rationally, even in business-to-business decisions. We're not talking about TVs and sports cars. It's even in deciding to strip till or deciding to do a different nutrient program. It's always an emotional-based decision. So our goal to help farmers adopt better soil health techniques, of which strip till is one, is we need to eliminate fear and pain to increase adoption. So that's what we did with the Faster Forage program. It addresses number two by minimizing soil disturbance. And it kind of addresses number one with soil armor, because remember we're chopping that for silage. So you know, if we're chopping it for silage, we want to get it all. We don't want to leave anything out there. We want to get it all. So we're kind of doing the soil armor because there's some wheat stubble out there about that tall. But what if there was something because we're focusing on soil health, not strip-till, what if there was something that could give us all the benefits of soil armor, allow us to continue minimizing soil disturbance, allow us to have greater plant diversity, allow us to have that continual living root in the ground, and kind of, at least it's a part of integrating livestock, what would that be? Cover crops, that's right. I had an interesting podcast with Keith Burns a couple days ago, and we realized that of every tech, all the techniques that we use out there for soil health, cover crops is, intersects all five of these principles. Of everything else that we do as farmers, 
it's really the only one thing that intersects all five. So HD cover crops, or maybe I should call it now 4K cover crops, but you know, HD cover crops for high diversity cover crops. So how does that address, here's our five soil health principles, how does that address it? We get additional residues, right? Tom said that earlier. Replaces tillage after corn possibly. If we can get good rooting, good depth rooting, we can get maybe, maybe we can get, we can definitely get to where we plant the wheat crop without tillage. Maybe we can do something as crazy as plant a corn crop in California no-till. We want four groups, eight species minimum. That's where research that your tax dollars didn't pay for, but German these did. That's where they found the optimum is, is if we can have four groups and eight species minimum for diversity of soil life, water benefits, and those kind of things. And then uh, no more empty fields. If it's empty, that's wrong. We need to always see something growing. And livestock integration, yes, we are feeding it to the cows. We can feed cover crops to the cows, that's good. But the actual most magic is in grazing. But at least we get feed for the cows. Well, thank you, Monty, for your advice and insight on ways to transition into strip-till. And again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for making this Strip-Till Farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies daily e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptillfarmr and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2019 podcast series. And remember, you can listen to past episodes at striptillfarmer.com. For Monty Bottens, Topcon Agriculture, and our entire staff here with Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening. Thank you.